Okay, we're back in the book of Romans, and this is such an important study, needless to say. Romans chapter 9, you guys, Romans chapter 9. And I'm just going to teach for like a half an hour. And, um, but, oh, I hate to say this, but whenever I say that, I just want to give you a heads up. But, but I, I'm actually going to time myself. I, I think I can do it. Romans chapter 9. Okay, Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I tell the truth in Christ, chapter 9, verse 1, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Messiah for my brethren, Israel, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed, let's all say the next word, God, and then he writes the last word there, amen, right? So listen, let's pray, Lord, Lord, inform us, help us to understand the meaning of this, but, oh Lord, I just pray for all of us, and I'm just, myself as well, because I need it, that um, actually the truth of what we just read would not only inform us, but transform us to be present in the moment because uh, you are at work, and, um, and I just pray, Lord, actually this message, this study, through chapter 9, 10, and 11, of course, the rest of the book, but these next few chapters would forever impact our lives in the context of our times. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, amen. You may have a seat, you guys. Yay. So the title of the message is, Good News, God Can't Cancel His Character Nor His Covenants, Romans chapter 9. Let's get a little running start. You know, I saw a documentary the other day about the great Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. How many of you know Brian Wilson, you know, or just know of him? You know, some say he is literally a musical genius. I think so. And when they say he's a genius, they're like talking about like a genius par to Mozart. I mean, this is what actually great musicians are saying. And I, and I believe that. Uh, and so it's a documentary on him. And he actually invited George Martin to come into the studio. George Martin produced the Beatles, and he was an engineer for the Beatles. And so what they did is they played one of his songs, one of his great songs, one of Brian's great songs. And so George, who I really like too, was like behind the console, the soundboard with a bunch of channels. And the idea was, hey, George, how would you mix this song? I mean, it was already mixed. It's been recorded impacted a generation, but how would you mix it? Would you turn up the little, the bass here, the vocal here? I mean, just curious how you would interpret the song so that it would, you know, enjoy its full potential. And so George just made a few adjustments. He's listening to it. And I can say, he turned up this, he turned down this, and Brian Wilson was like, I can't, I can't believe it. That's better than the original, you know? I'm thinking, wow. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that the book of Romans is like a soundboard, and there are 16 channels representing 16 chapters. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, right? So all of 
the channels need to make sure that they're on and that they're being heard. Are you guys with me on this, right? Every chapter is so important. Now, there's some chapters that you could probably turn up a little bit versus some of the others that really need, just make sure you get a right balance and that you hear it. Now, here's what we have to understand. For some crazy reasons, and we're not going to get a deep dive on this, I, I, I know why this is the case in history, but you have chapter 9, 10, and 11, the great book of Romans. Somehow, some way, it's almost like the channels have been so lowered you can barely hear them. It's like it is barely here, Romans 9. I mean, it's there. And then chapter 10, yeah, it's like, it's like, wait a second, how did the channels get so pulled down you can barely hear them? And then, and then chapter 11 as well. It's kid you not, just barely hearing. Then other, in other cases, you actually have 9, 10, 11. This is not hyperbolic. I'm not exaggerating this. It's been muted. It's been muted like there are some wonderful churches. And I know these brothers and sisters. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we value the, the beautiful body all throughout the earth, right? I kid you not, going through the great book of Romans, they skipped chapter 9. They skipped 10. They skipped 11. I mean, it's like, what's my point? I'm just making a point. They skipped it. So that's like they muted the channels. And I know this are two very prominent churches. They just, it's like, there's reasons for it. We will probably make mention of a little bit why that is. On the other hand, you have chapter 9 that's almost been hijacked. It's been hijacked by those who hold an extreme view of election. And then you actually, some would see chapter 9, 10, 11, kind of like this doctrinal scrap metal yard of sorts, or like this, um, I don't know, is it called a junkyard where cars go? And so I don't know. But it's like, but there's some really good pieces in there. It's like, there's a BMW, but it's been in a wreck, but the carburetor's good. It's like the, 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 the car will never run again, but there's some great pieces. And some view chapter 9, 10, 11 as like, okay, um, you know, maybe for another time it ran, it was relevant, but it's like not, it's, uh, I don't know if we should see it in its, uh, in its fullness, but we're going to do just dive down and pick some pieces out of it. Because there's some really good pieces, like if you get in chapter 10, you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. All of that to simply say that whether it's like muting these chapters, turning them down, hijacking chapter 9 to create some crazy extremisms when it comes to the doctrine of election, seeing these as kind of doctrinal scrap metal, either way, it's actually impacted generations. What we need to do and what we're going to do is make sure these channels are turned up. Can I hear a big amen to that? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. It's like, actually, if Paul was here, he, he, and he says this in chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, first for the Jew and then the entire world, is written in the present tense. And now he's making the case, actually, hey, one day all Israel will be saved. It's like what's happened is, is if you look at like Campus Crusade for Christ, incredible ministry, okay? I mean, incredible ministry is they have the Romans road that helps explain how one comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But I would argue that that, Rome, that Romans road has been shorted. What we need to see is that 
that the plan of salvation unfolding from eternity past to eternity future and through Israel actually leads to Jerusalem. It actually goes, you got to get into chapter 11 because one day all Israel will in fact be saved. Let's get a running start. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he's, he's writing to followers of Jesus in Rome. And they were positioned in the epicenter of the Roman Empire, which was a totalitarian imperial cult. And immediately, what Paul does, this Jew from a land that had been conquered by Rome, what he immediately does is he confronts the false teaching, the ideas that informs Rome and the emperor He confronts the gospel of Caesar with the authoritative divine gospel of God. You say, gospel of Caesar, what does that mean? Well, Rome had recently turned a corner during the reign of Octavius, the nephew of Julius Caesar, granting Octavius the title of Augustus, which means holy or revered. And Augustus became known as the son of divine. We talked about it before, the son of God. So if you were like walking the streets of Rome in the first century, you ask, who is the son of God? Well, that's the emperor. That, that, that's the emperor. In fact, his birthday was hailed as gospel. His birthday was hailed as good news. And this set a precedent for future emperors that morphed in power, darkness, and brutality. In fact, the emperor uh, at the time Paul wrote Romans was Nero. Nero had been married twice, both to men. For pleasure, he tarred and feathered our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago and lit them on fire. He put them on posts and just lit them on fire. He found some pleasure in this. That's where you get the, that idea of a Roman candle. It goes all the way back to our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago who were burned alive, and eventually Nero had Paul put to death. And in 70 AD, he, man, it was the totalitarian, you know, you know, cult of the Roman Empire that would destroy Jerusalem and would take the menorah. Oh, man, the holy seven-branch menorah. I think I saw a menorah on this book, by the way. Your book, right? Yes, the menorah is right there. Um, did you know that? I'm sure you knew that. Okay, so anyways, so they... They actually took the menorah back to Rome. Oh my goodness gracious. And it was the Roman Empire that would have Jesus Christ's followers thrown to the lions, fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. And so here you have Paul. This is like the beginning of the book. As I mentioned, a Jew from a conquered land of Israel, he boldly confronts the lie of the false gospel of Caesar. And what is the lie? The lie is that man can become God. That's a lie. And actually, that's what Antichrist is going to do. The battle of Armageddon is like the Lord comes back in the darkest time in human history and judges it. But you go back 2,000 years ago, it's like what was is going to be what is and will be. And what is, it's like like gaining momentum and it's going to ultimately culminate in Jerusalem. The Lord's going to return and judge it. And this, of course, as I mentioned, is resurfacing. This this idea that man can become God, it's on steroids today because you have transhumanism, this idea that you can marry marry biology and technology together. This is gaining 
This is gaining further prominence in our thinking today. All of that to say, and guys, just let's go back to Romans chapter 1. We're just going to look at this. Look how Paul begins Romans chapter 1, verse 1. When he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, not Caesar, gospel of God. Verse 2, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy, what's the next word, you guys? Scriptures, yes. And we esteem the word of God concerning his son, Jesus Messiah, our Lord, born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace, apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Whoa. So he's pinning this great book, right? Confronting the lie that the emperor of the day is actually God. No, 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 no. That, that's a false gospel. What you saw in history on a micro level will be seen in a macro level will be judged by Jesus the authoritative divine gospel good news is Jesus is the Son of God. This was evidenced by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? So watch this. So Paul then goes on to say, okay, so the gospel is the power of God to salvation and to everyone who believes. It's a big invitation, all Jew and Gentile. This is chapter 1. Then he actually identifies the authoritative um, diagnosis for the breakdown of man. And he says, hey, look, I'll just paraphrase it. When you suppress the truth of God and suppress conscience, it gets dark really quick. So now you have major confusion. And now just what the authority is is created by man. And male and female or marriage becomes a social construct. It's just... It's like man determines what's reality by his words, which is what we are seeing on steroids today. And, and the only answer to the course correction of breakdown is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying. But let me just put this in perspective. And whether someone, for example, has opposite sex attraction or whether they have same sex attraction or is experiencing gender dysphoria, God bless them, Jesus said, you must be born again. Okay, so it's like, hey, we all need rescue from sin, breakdown, and judgment. Every heterosexual does. Can I hear an amen to that? So everyone who maybe has the same sex attraction does. Needs their sins forgiven. Needs to be rescued from breakdown. Needs to be rescued from judgment. Jesus said, um, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's like deep down inside, we all long for a relationship with the God who created us. Whether, whether you're same-sex attracted, whether gender dysphoria, whatever, it's like we all need the Lord. We all need to be born again. And it's, it's as Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to be through me. Deep down inside, 
We all long for permanence, eternity written in our hearts. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. You believe in me, though you die, you shall live. The point is, we all need to be born again. We, we all need Jesus Christ. We all need healing. We all need forgiveness. We all need course correction. So Paul is just saying in this book, hey, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then once you're in Christ, so beautiful, it's like nothing could ever separate you from his love. We've been called, we've been justified, we're already glorified. So by the time we get to chapter 9, the elephant in the room is actually Israel. So when you think of Israel, you need to think of descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You also need to think of land, the land of Israel. You also need to think of a remnant of Israel. The story of Israel has always been a remnant. It's like, it's always been like the faithful have been the few. And then you also need to think of a nation. So Jesus is the king of Israel, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the promised son of David, and the king of Israel is the Lord and Savior of the world. The nation of Israel in the first century did not embrace Jesus as their Messiah. And look, if you really want to get into it, you're really talking about a few men, the gatekeepers of Judaism, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin that rejected him, but not even all of them did. Many of them turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nicodemus was one of them. But it's like the gatekeepers in the country rejected Jesus, sent the country in a direction never intended by the Lord. So in the first century, watch this, here you have a, a Jewish man who's going throughout the goyim, or he's going out throughout the nations, and he's saying, hey, the true son of God is, is the Davidic king, he's the anointed one, and it's like, well, wait a second, why didn't the nation of Israel that God chose from eternity past, you know, uh, to, for a unique divine purpose, they didn't even embrace him. And so what's going on with that? And he's giving explanation to this. And this is one of the most important messages we could ever address, particularly in the times in which we live. It's like we need to turn this up. What about Israel? And of course, they're on the eve of Rome coming in as Jesus prophesied and would destroy actually the temple, sending Jews amidst the Diaz of Porah. And yet Jesus said, look, uh, one day I'm gonna drink of the cup, the Passover cup in the kingdom, implying there will be a regathering of the Jews in that context, back in the land. In fact, the 12 tribes restored so the question is now, you get to chapter 9, and if, no doubt this is an issue 2,000 years ago. It's like, hey, okay, you're saying Jesus is the Messiah? He's the son, promised son of David? What about Israel? You're bringing him to the nations. People are getting converted. Okay, ultimately the Roman Empire is going to uh, identify Christianity as the state-supported religion of the empire. It's a lot of negatives when that took place, okay? But it's like, what about Israel? Let's turn the volume up. So let's turn back, you guys, to Romans chapter 9. And, and let's go through this. And if you notice verse 4, and we're going to come back to first few verses in just a little bit. He, he says, who are Israelites? So what about Israel? Let's turn the volume up. Israelites, who are they? 
descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, later called Israel, the nation from which Messiah came. Verse 4 also, watch this, he says, pertain the adoption. Well, that speaks of special relationship. It's like God created, actually, Israel. He chose Israel. Like, we have four children, uh, Greg, Sarah, Pete, and Lily, boy, girl, boy, girl. And, um, and then now we have six grandchildren. Did I tell you I have two granddaughters? Did I tell you that? I know. His granddaughters are extra special. Anyways, um, yeah, it's like, but, you know, we, we've never adopted. But when you adopt, it's like, it's just, you, you're choosing that child. Of course, the Lord blesses us with these babies. It's, I just thank God for all of our children and grandchildren. But the idea of adoption would be like, well, I'm choosing you. And in a way, it's like we choose our children and the Lord blesses us with life and there's procreation but the idea of adoption is very, very special. I mean, you have Moses who says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. It's like, dude, you better get your hands off like his firstborn son. It's like Israel, no, chosen. And it's like through a biblical lens, the idea of son isn't merely biological. It speaks of position. It speaks of special relationship, authority. Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So it's like, okay, well, what is Israel? Israelites, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Adoption chosen by God. Now, here's what we're going to unpack. Look up here real quick. You guys, let's be good Bible students here. All right, well, God chose elected Israel for a specific purpose, to reveal himself to and through an ultimate Messiah impacting the entire world. Can I hear an amen to that? But that does not mean every descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is right with God. We're going to unpack this the more. It's like for Jesus to say to Nicodemus, now I'm getting ahead of myself, who was the chief rabbi in Jerusalem. He was Rabban, not Rav, Rabban, the Billy Graham of Jerusalem. Jesus identified teacher of Israel. He's mentioned three times in the Talmud. For him to say to him, you have to be born again to not only see but enter the kingdom of heaven, he's thinking, what did you just say? Because as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our view is we're right with God just because we are the chosen. And it's like he's just, he's just saying, we'll unpack this the more. It was just saying, no, actually, it's, salvation is not a race issue. It's a grace issue. And you need to respond and embrace Messiah. And then he goes on to say, hey, this is, I'm going to paraphrase this. Hey, Nicodemus, this is your calling from now on. Ready? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, it's just like you've got to embrace it and you've got to make it known. But just a simple point, watch. This is a very important distinction. God chose, elected Israel for purpose. When it comes to salvation, whether a person is right with God or not, that's a different election. That requires one opening their heart to receive Christ. And once Christ takes residence, they are secure. They are chosen. That's a different election. That's an election 
to salvation. So he's just simply just saying here, he's saying, look, this pertaining to adoption called for a specific purpose. And then he mentions in verse 4 also the glory, which refers to God uniquely demonstrating himself to Israel, the cloud leading Israel by uh, a fire by night, God's presence so powerfully manifested atop Sinai. And then he mentions the covenants. There's a lot here, you guys, but I just want to slow down here. The covenants, like what? Well, like the Abrahamic covenant. God shows Abraham that through him there'd be a great nation. The entire world would be blessed. We've been talking about it. And then it's like, well, the new covenant, or excuse me, the Davidic covenant. It's like, I know if you're new to the Bible, it's like covenant. It's like this contract. It speaks of a plan. Like, I think we have a verse. Can we put that verse up? Or do we? Oh, no, wait. I haven't even given the first point yet. Okay. So... No, you're totally, that's exactly where you need to be. No, actually, let's just get to this first point. Look, here, here's the idea. God has given promises to, to Israel, right? The Abrahamic covenant. You got, the, you got a lot of words up there, right? You got in your, you, got, you got, gave you a handout too. The, the, um, the Davidic covenant. In fact, let's, let's go to the next, next slide here. So I want to show you this. Watch this. Here's what David says. Um, when David learned that, my goodness, the plan of God's going to unfold through his family. So it's like God called Abraham, right? God called Israel for special use and adoption and purpose. And that the whole world's blessed and ultimately in the Messiah of Israel. Watch this. When David learned, oh my goodness gracious. And this plan is now going to be narrowed down to a specific family he asked the question, is this the manner? And the, in the Hebrew, the, the word manner there is Torah. Is this the Torah of Adam, O Lord? It, it, was, it was like another way of just loosely saying, this is what David's realizing. Oh my goodness gracious, you're kidding me. Your, 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 your divine plan that is unfolding, that is unstoppable, is going to be actually now through my family. So in other words, there's going to be a son in my lineage who will establish a kingdom forever and ever, and that kingdom will never be destroyed. And David is just like totally blown away, and he should be. And I just love it. Is the manner, is this the manner, the Torah? Not the Torah of Moses. Is this the divine instruction or revelation to the entire world? It just doesn't get bigger than that. And then you have... The new covenant, just watch, covenants given to Israel to bless the world. Abrahamic, Davidic, the new covenant, huge, inaugurated by the blood of our precious Lord. Forgiveness, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, promise of the preservation of Israel, all the world blessed. It's all of that. The salvation of Israel. The salvation of Israel means the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the righteous, the revival of the church, the restoration of the earth. The Bible tells us that without Israel's spiritual resurrection, God's plan will not be accomplished and Jesus will not return. You say, what are you getting that? Oh, that's exactly what Paul is going to be building out. And it gives perspective to why 
He had such a heart for his generation and his fellow Jewish countrymen because he knows God is not finished with them yet. Even though as a nation, the nation rejected, doesn't mean Jews, all Jews rejected Jesus. In fact, that's a crazy idea that there's some mysterious blindness over Jews that just don't embrace Jesus. No, most of our precious Jewish friends have never heard the gospel, and that's where we come in. We have a responsibility to our generation. So God cannot cancel his character nor his covenants, and there's a bunch there, and we're dealing with a lot. But if you just go back to verse 4, giving of the law, yeah, it's like, well, that's comprehensive, For time's sake, I'm just going to keep moving. Or verse 4, the service of God refers to the ceremonial services God instituted. He also mentions the promises referring to Messiah and all that is in Christ. And then, please, you guys, notice notice verse 5. This is huge. I mean, it all is, but this is really great. He says, of whom are the fathers, from whom according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed, can someone tell me that last word? God. I mean, this is one of the clearest statements in Scripture that Jesus is God. Now, one of the objections of our Jewish friends, our Orthodox Jewish friends, is like, hey, um, Christians are idolaters. They actually believe in three different gods. And so it's like, are you kidding me? No. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, the Lord is, can someone tell me, one. Ikad, it speaks of Ikad, plurality, and unity. But it's like, this is one of the objections to following Jesus in our generation from some, not all Jews, but some Jews who say, no, you guys, you guys are idolaters. You have made a mere man God. That's what you guys have done. You Christians, it's crazy. Guruism, it's like Eastern, man becoming God? No, 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 no. We don't believe that. And by the way, we believe the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no doubt about it. Christianity is not a man became God. Christianity is God lowered himself and became a man. The miracle is he wrapped himself in human flesh. And please hear this. I mean, that's not a pagan, idol-worshiping concept. It's not even Christian. And it's not an obscure concept. It's clearly revealed in Scripture. Most of Judaism today is not biblical Judaism. It's rabbinical Judaism. So it's like, what are you talking about? Ah, I have to say, most of Judaism today has gotten away from the Scriptures. Micah 5.2, one to be ruler in Israel, who's going forth from of old, from everlasting. Whoa! The one, I can't even conceive it, time out of mind has revealed himself? Yes. Daniel 7.13, the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Isaiah chapter 9, a son called mighty God. This isn't Christian, it certainly isn't pagan, and it's not obscure. It's clearly revealed in Scripture. So it's like, having understood a bit who Israel is, oh, adopted, chosen, special. Isn't that beautiful? God gave covenants that are still unfolding and are at play. You can better understand Paul's heart for his fellow Jewish countrymen. 
God cannot cancel his character and his covenants are true. And this is one of the things I love so much about Pastor Ray. There's so many things, but put it in my notes here. So I wanted to share it. And that is, he too believed that, you know, God's covenants are active and are unfolding. And spoke to a generation, let's make sure we all step in the story, right? The question becomes, how in the world does a man like Paul have such grief and sorrow over his fellow Jewish countrymen to the extent that he's willing actually to give his salvation for his fellow Jews, which is really radical. And it's like, how should we even interpret that? Do we see it concretely? Like that really reflects, like, goodness gracious, Paul, seriously, you'd be willing to give your salvation for the salvation of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I actually just totally, you got to take it as it is. And it raises the question, like, um, how did he even get there? I mean, how could he even got there with such a selflessness that as a Jew, he would be looking at his fellow Jewish countrymen and like, oh, you guys, you know, it's like you were Israelites, pertaining, doctrines, covenants, come on, come on. It's like, okay, the nation of Israel, we're just Sanhedrin rejected Jesus, but it's like God's not finished with you guys. And it's, it's like I'm called to the nations, but it's the, the priority was always Jew first, then non-Jew. And, and, and if we build this out a little bit, it becomes very clear that Paul's love, which was more powerful than the temporary rejection of the nation of Israel, it, it's a love more powerful than like being even horribly treated by his fellow Jews. It's like he still loved them. Not all Jews treated him terribly. Um, Non-Jews treated Paul. I mean, it reminds me of the story of the guy who couldn't decide what what, you know, you know, what side to fight on during the Civil War. So he wore a jacket of the Union Army and, 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 the, and the pants of the Confederate Army, and he was shot from both sides. You know, it's like, you got to make, it's like Paul, God bless him, he was, he was shot from the side of some of his fellow Jewish countrymen, not all of them, of course, and then he was shot from the other side of the nations. And, and yet, he's like, has this conviction and this compassion for the soul winning of his fellow Jewish countrymen. And the point number two, we have it up on the screen, is a conviction and compassion for soul winning. It's born actually out of having a heart of Jesus for others. And then what is that heart? It's like Jesus gave his life for the life of Israel and the world. I mean, Jesus inaugurated a covenant with his own blood that involves ultimately the salvation of Israel and the glory of God on planet Earth. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, and on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If you contrast this to the Roman world, everyone had their gods. It was a real pluralistic society, and theologically, it was very diverse. Everybody had their gods. I mean, it's like, you know, in fact, one of the critiques of Christianity is like, hey, these guys are actually atheists because they don't have buildings where they go as if it's sacred space to worship. It's this organic thing. Everybody had 
little incense. I mean, they had their altars and they were worship, worshiping anything and everything. And it was a brutal world. So in other words, if you're not right, like vertically and right with God, it's like everything begins to break down. The Roman world was very pluralistic, but it was also extraordinarily brutal. Huge disparity between rich and poor, women suppressed and oppressed. We could just go on and on. 30% of the population were slaves. So it's like, wait a second. My point is like, like how in the world does this man uh, have such a heart, you know, for his fellow Jewish countrymen, at which time, you know, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be actually put to death by the emperor himself, but he was arrested because of fake news atop the Temple Mount. But how did he have such love? And And the answer is because because he knew who Jesus is. And he had been transformed by Jesus, who demonstrated the greatest selfless love for the benefit of others. It's like Christianity is an exclusive belief. It's a narrow belief. Really, any conviction is. But if I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I'm saying he's the way. He's not a way, truth, a life. But what it produces in the human heart is a, it, it just it produces a big monster love and care for others to the extent that one would even be willing to lay their life down for the rescue of another human being, all rooted in the fact that Jesus is the Savior King who did just that for all of us. Can I hear an amen to that? So the third point is, is that having the heart of Jesus is to have a selfless love that responds to the brokenness of man with hope and help and healing. You know, I mentioned this last week, and I just want to insert it quickly. And that is, like, we live in this wonderful country. And I just want to put a little context to our faith, obviously. It's a great country. And um, the Constitution matters, super important. Law matters, legislation matters. I, the way I interpret politics is I interpret politics as the competition of ideas, to how to persuade and influence through ideas. Okay? And it's a very, very dirty game. Because it's like, I'm, I'm going to try to influence you in a direction. I'm going to use anything and everything to do that. So it's like, I'll bend the truth. I won't even sell the truth. Whatever it is, to convince and persuade people. So politics, this is my view, is a very, very dirty knife fight. Very dirty knife fight. Do ideas matter? Of course. Legislation matters? Of course. Should we stand up for the next generation who's being told like, you know, your biology is just merely uh, a social parental construct? Of course. Of course. But having the heart of Jesus, having the heart of Jesus, which every genuine believer does have, is a heart that's responding to brokenness. It's a, with a selflessness and a sacrifice to bring hope and help and actually healing. We are the counterculture to a culture that is breaking down. You know, I witnessed the other day, I actually didn't witness it, but, and I'll just end with this. I, 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 um, I actually heard this terrible accident. And I was at a restaurant and I was with uh, Tyler Baquette, who's a, past, a young pastor. 
And I heard this accident. And I was like, whoa, what was that? And I turned around, and in a parking lot, someone had, just in a parking lot, near Swami's, if you know, where the restaurant, just had driven up on the curb and hit a tree. And then it just kind of, kind of just, it was kind of just, then it just kind of, kind of went backwards in, in, in the street. And then so it was, it was radically dented in the front and things. And it, it, was, it was a terrible sound. So I looked and I'm just immediately thinking, okay, how many, I'm just looking, is there movement in the car? Um, and, you know, is it normal or is it just like still? And, it's, and, and there was someone nearby and they were immediately on the phone and different things. Okay, so long story short, um, you, know, uh, you know, Tyler just got up and, and he said, oh, let's go. And he ran and I'm like walking, I'm assessing, like the guys are calling thing. So I get up there and, and there's these two women who could be my daughters. I would say under 25. And one of them had blood coming from her face. Um, I mean, serious, but it didn't, my assessment wasn't like, okay, like she got hit her, her mouth on the dashboard. And the other one kept saying, I need to go, I need to go. You don't understand, I need to go. I need to get back to my children. Okay. Well, like the thing was is that they were under a terrible influence. I don't know what it was. I mean, I know a little bit about drugs, but not a whole lot. But I don't think they, they had been drinking. And I don't, I don't think they had been smoking pot. So it was a totally different thing I saw in their eyes. And it just was like, whoa. It broke, it just broke my mind. And, and they were disoriented. It's not, of course, they'd been in a crush, but it was a different thing. And the, for the fact that this, all of a sudden you go up and you're in a parking lot, boom, 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 hit a tree. It's like, whoa, right? And so I was like, oh, and she just kept saying, and I just, oh, man, I see her, I see her face in my eyes. It's just like haunted me for days. I have to go. And she says, she kept saying, you, you get out of my, get out. You don't understand. I have to get, and I, I have to get back. My kids, my kids. So, and I just said, oh, um, listen, I, I'm so sorry. You, you can't, you can't drive, you know, you're, your, your tire is, uh, is, is uh, deflated. It's, you, can't, you can't move, and she could never start that car. And it's like, and I was just trying to comfort and this thing, thing, call the police, you know, not police, but call the ambulance, all these different stuff and stuff, just trying to, but look, the, here's, here's the reality. The reality is, is that we live in a world, man, where the wreckage and the breakdown is, is becoming more palpable, right? And it's almost like, an intoxication in a way. In fact, you know, Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't be drunk with wine. Because when you're intoxicated, we talked about this before, but when you're intoxicated, it's like you can have a joy, but it's, a, it's not a joy based on reality. Or you can have a confidence, but it's not based on reality. Or I'm making some assumptions that gal, you know, bless her heart, drove her car into a tree thinking that that was the right direction, but it wasn't. She was, but it wasn't. It wasn't reality. And we live in a world where the intoxication from false ideas is, is creating terrible breakdown and terrible wreckage. Would you not agree with that? So it's like, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. I mean, the world, you guys, just remember, is reached one person at a time. 
demonstrate compassion for the individual. And while it's a team effort, because we're all in it, some sow, others water, the Lord gives the increase, just remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's follow Paul's example. He has this heart for his generation. He knows God's plan is unfolding. Let's step into the story and let us be available to be soul winners. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Yeah, let's all stand at this time. Lord, Lord, thank you for your word. It's so beautiful. Thank you, Lord. And I just want to end here before I release everybody. I, I, I want to give an invitation. I, I, just, I just pray there's no one here that would leave without having opened their heart and embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, I, and so I, I just want to say, listen, you can do that. Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected. He is alive. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bring you in right relationship. He wants to fill those empty spaces within. He says, if any man's thirsty, let him come unto me. And he, he wasn't talking about just having a drink of water. He was talking about satisfying the deepest thirst in all of our lives. And that is only found in right relationship with God. And listen, you can receive Christ. He can come into your life. You say, well, what must I do? Well, those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said we need to turn from our sin and turn to him. That's called repentance. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And I just, in the next few minutes, I just would like to lead in a word of prayer because I wouldn't be surprised that there are those here that just, like the Lord is calling and you, you need your sins forgiven, and you need to know if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You want that settled in your life. Pray with me if that's you, right where you're standing. And church family, if you want to join, that would be great. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior who died on the cross resurrected from the dead. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life and fill me with the life of God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. And thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.